coming to you from the Philadelphia area. This is the Westchester Church Podcast. Well, Advent is all about waiting on God to show up in our lives in a season where it feels like it's never going to end. Well, we're spending Advent here this year in the book of Isaiah, and what we heard him say last week in his descriptions of what his name is going to be, we heard Isaiah say that the one who our Advent is revolving around, that, that our Messiah is so wonderful that his name is wonderful, that he's so wise in his counsel that his name literally is Counselor. I just wonder if we, in our prayers, if we would just start that prayer with wonderful counselor. I just wonder where those kind of prayers would go in our lives. I think about Advent in a lot of ways. I was reading a book earlier on in the week, and it speaks about um, a singer. Dean Martin is at the very end of his life, and it's um, a very um, a sad um, a December of his life as he is at the very end of his career, obviously. Three marriages have all failed in his life, and close to the end of his life, he has a son who's tragically killed in a plane crash. And there's another singer whose name, I believe it was um, Anka, um, Paul Anka, had spotted him at a restaurant about that time. And, of course, he's very old right now. He's not, not far from, from his death, and he's just sitting there in an Italian restaurant. Paul Inca walks up to um, Dean Martin and says, Hey, Dino, how you doing? And without even looking up from his plate, he has his has, um, dentures in, in um, water. And without even looking up, he just kind of mutters in that iconic voice, Just waiting to die, Pally. Just waiting to die. I mean, here's a guy who at one, um, at a juncture in his life, had everything you can imagine having. Had money, had mansions, had, had a career, had fame. And yet he's living in a, or, or he lived in a world, though, where all good things must come to an end because it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. It's a woman who is seated in her house and she hears her husband get out of his car in the driveway. She hears his keys jingling on the knob of the door. Ordinarily, that is a very happy sound for for a family and for children. And yet not in this household because he walks inside the house reeking of alcohol. His children are hiding in their closets in their bedrooms. And his wife has all of these scars on her body, bruises on her cheek. And she knows that at any moment in time, he might just hit me again. She cries herself to sleep almost every single night because she remembers that that at one time we had such a happy marriage. Our family had been so happy in the very beginning, but after all, All good things must come to an end because in this world, it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Amanda and I had been watching a show. It was a talent competition earlier on in the year and there had been a contestant who was a singer. Archie Williams is his name and 
He had spent 37 years in prison for crimes that he did not commit. And so from 1983 all the way to 2019, imagine spending that much time in a prison as an innocent man. And yet, if we could go all the way back to 1983 in Archie Williams' life, though, I mean, he, he is still young. He's got his whole life ahead of him, but he's living in a world where all good things must come to an end because it's here today and it can be gone just like that in the morning. And in the 1940s, there was a German minister and a theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who says that, that life in a prison cell may be compared to Advent, where one waits and they hope, and yet they are behind a door that is bolted shut that can only be opened from the outside. And as we come to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7 of Isaiah, there are shockwaves of panic and terror that are reverberating throughout Jerusalem. Where there are whispers that there's going to be an invasion from the Assyrians and from the people of Damascus. King Ahaz and just about everybody in the nation are trembling over this. It looks like there's going to be imminent invasion and destruction in Jerusalem. And it's in this specific moment of this specific time of Advent that the prophet Isaiah goes to King Ahaz and he says, Ahaz, I want you to ask a miracle of God. Ask a miracle, ask any miracle. Make it as high as heaven and as deep as the underworld realm of, the, of those who have died. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 10, here is what we read. That again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol and as high as heaven. And yet Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And so Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear you a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now there's a lot of scholars who read this and say that this is directly in reference to Ahaz's future son, whose name was Hezekiah. And I mean, Hezekiah was a good king, but you and I, who happen to live in on this other end of the cross, we, we have a luxury of knowing just who exactly this is really, I mean, truly, fully in reference to. Well, there's a young man whose name is Joseph, and his fiancée has just come home from a trip, and she has a baby bump. Joseph is like, yeah, I know that she keeps going on and on about the Holy Spirit and how she conceived because of the Holy Spirit, but yeah... I'm going to put her away in divorce, and it's going to happen. Well, he sleeps on, on that decision. And an angel of God visits Joseph in a dream. And he says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child that has, 
has been conceived in her is indeed from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, she is going to give birth to a son, and you shall give him the name Jesus, Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. And then what Matthew says to us is that all of this was in fulfillment of what Isaiah the prophet had prophesied. And then again we, we hear his words in Isaiah 7. That behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And as Jesus makes his entrance into our bitter and into our broken world of here today and gone tomorrow, and all good things must come to an end. Now what God is announcing to them as well as to us is that there are going to be days of hope and peace that are coming. And these are going to be days of, of hope and peace which have no end. And this morning what we're going to see in our message is that there are a few ironies in these names that are given to, to Christ during the Advent years. And the very first is that name, Emmanuel. And what the irony is, is that Jesus was in heaven, and now he is with us. That is my favorite name ever given to Jesus, Emmanuel, because what does it mean in the Hebrew? It means God is with us. God is with us. I mean, God has always wanted to be with us. We remember how long ago in the wilderness days that, that God's dwelling place had, had moved inside of a tent or a tabernacle. We remember one occasion as we see a cloud covering a tent. And there is fire coming down out of heaven and it moves inside that tent. People are running outside saying, God is with us. God is with us. Well, as they come into Jerusalem, now God's dwelling place is inside of a temple where you had a room called the holy place. And then you had the, the Hagia Hagion, the holy of holies. For my entire life, ever since I was a little child, I, I always dreamed of going on a tour of the White House. I just imagine that you walk down a certain wing of the White House and a tour guide says that, on the other end of this wall where we're standing is a hallway. And that hallway leads to the Oval Office. And just imagine all of the great men and women who have stood inside the Oval Office. All of our many commander-in-chiefs who have worked inside that office day after day after day for all of these years. It, it must be an incredible thing to actually stand there. And yeah, that pales in comparison, though. I, you know, I just want us to imagine a Gentile woman standing in the court of the Gentiles with, with her infant daughter, first century um, Israel. And she points at the wall in the court of the Gentiles, and she says to her daughter that on the other end of that wall, there is another room and another wall. And there is a curtain. God is behind those curtains. And then I just imagine her saying to her daughter that this is the very closest we will get to God. 
And yet little did they know. Just, I mean, right down the street, there was a carpenter family. And just a matter of days, God with us is just about to be born into our world. God as us is just about to make his entrance in the manger. You see, as Jesus comes into our world, what, what he's doing in essence is, is what he's saying to the human family is, now I want to get even closer to you than I've ever been before. Because after all, I'm going to write my law upon their hearts. I'm going to place my very spirit inside of their soul so that they can be a living temple of the Holy Spirit. And whenever I feel afraid or anxious or inferior in any way, I just marvel at the thought that the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in this body right now. That the spirit of Jesus Christ is in this mess somehow, in some way. See, I think the most important component of the Great Commission of Matthew 28 is, is the part that goes overlooked so often. Yes, we need to go out into all the world and all of that, and absolutely, amen. And yet the only way anything good can happen is, is if we truly believe in that last part where he says, Emmanuel to his apostles, Emmanuel, lo, I am with you always even until the end of the age. And I know this is a very strange year for us. I don't think one of us ever imagined in our wildest dreams that we would spend a year, I mean a full year just about, going to church gatherings on a conference call. And yet, if there was one thing Jesus wanted to impress on our minds in a year like this, I believe it would have been just simply him saying his name to us, Emmanuel. That even though you are singing Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah in your pajamas, laying on, on a lazy boy um, a recliner, Emmanuel, I am with you. As we walk into work at 7.30 Monday morning, again, I am with you. As we watch the news and we feel our heart burst in, in sadness and in sorrow, I believe that what he would whisper in our ears, in our souls, in the pages of, of his holy scriptures is, Emmanuel, I am with you. When we feel all alone in our pain, in our aches and in our tears, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And so he was in heaven, but now he's with us. And then we find yet another name given to, to Christ in this Advent time in chapter 9. Where it says in chapter 9 of verse 6, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor. But then notice how it also, in description of our, of our Messiah, says Mighty God. And that also is very ironic, isn't it? Because what this means is that Jesus is one of us, and yet he's also God. Jesus is just as human as we are, but he's also just as God as God the Father is. 
I mean, yes, Jesus ate fish, and he wept at wakes, and he slept on boats, but Jesus did not begin in the manger at Bethlehem. His origin did not start in the womb of his mother Mary, but rather, but rather the beginning of Jesus was even before the beginning of the beginning of the world, and of even time itself. As the Hebrew writer says that, that it is through the Son that the entire universe was created. John chapter 8, Jesus is conversing with, with them, a lot of people, and what he says to them is that, I, I keep hearing you speak about Abraham. Abraham, Abraham, Father Abraham, we are children of Abraham. And, and yes, I, you know, as a matter of fact, I remember Abraham. I saw Abraham. I, I heard Abraham speak. Abraham saw my day and, and he rejoiced at my day. And I mean, these guys are getting mad. They, they actually try to kill Jesus because what he's saying is, is that he, he is eternal in that sense, that, that he's God. You're not even 50 years old, Jesus, and you're claiming that you saw Abraham? And it's then as we hear him say that before Abraham ever existed, he says, I am. And they try to kill Jesus because he, he is identifying himself in the same way as God the Father does at the burning bush. I am who I am. I mean... <laughs> I remember not that long ago, I was at a church and I had a deacon who was almost that angry with me because I had begun a Bible class and I was praying. And rather than starting um, a prayer saying, Dear Heavenly Father, I said, Lord Jesus, dot, dot, dot. And there was a big brouhaha in class as he said that you're, you're not supposed to ever pray to Jesus. You shouldn't be praying to Jesus. That Well, it's just wrong to do that. And I said, well, I wasn't praying to little Richard. <laughs> no. I'm praying to Jesus Christ. And if we say that we cannot pray or worship Jesus, what are we doing? We are denying the deity of Jesus. When we cry out to Jesus, we are just like blind men who we read about in the Gospels, crying out to Jesus, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. We are like... I'm an apostle. As we see Thomas in the upper room, Jesus Christ has, has raised from the dead. And what Thomas says to him is, my Lord and my, and then he uses the word God. You are my God, Jesus. So he's God, but also notice though that he's mighty God. That word mighty in the Hebrew language is a military word. It is war lingo, where it is the Hebrew word el gibor, which means mighty champion. It can also mean a godly hero. Now, Isaiah is prophesying in an age where there are many kings of Judah and, and of Israel who are reigning. Most of these kings are being venerated as mighty heroic rulers. We remember how even Goliath of Gath was a mighty champion in the art of, of war and of, of um, a battle. 
And yet here's the thing about Jesus, though. What Isaiah is saying in these days of Advent is that a king is coming who's going to be far greater than any king we've ever seen. He's a king who has a different greatness to him. He's got a transcendent heroism where, oh yes, he is a ruler. He's got a government on his shoulders. He's got a, a kingdom of his very own. But what makes him a mighty champion is that he is a mighty champion for blind people. He's a mighty champion for deaf people, for mutes and lepers and for adulteresses, and for the poor. See, Jesus is heroic because of who he loves. He's heroic because of who he demands really the most good ought to be extended to. He's heroic because of how he had died. And isn't it remarkable thought that how the same God who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day he is the same God who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. How the same Jesus who once stood next to Moses and Elijah and Paul speaking to them. He is the same mighty ruler Jesus who is standing right next to Evelyn right now. He's standing right next to Judy and to Christine and Felicia and all the rest of us as well this morning. And so, yes, he is also the mighty God. But then also notice, though, next in verse 6, where it says that his name will also be Everlasting Father. And I think this one especially is making us scratch our, our heads this morning. Where it's like, wait, what? So Jesus is the Son, but he's also, well, he is a Father, Isaiah is saying. Verse 6 begins and it says that a son is given and his name is Everlasting Father. I mean, how in the world does that work? Well, in Hebraic culture, there are many meanings of that word father. There is one sense where it obviously means one's own actual father in a biological sense. Other times it refers to ancestors in a person's lineage, perhaps. Other times it might be speaking about a certain luminary, as in the case of, of Abraham is referred to as Father Abraham, as the father of those who are faithful. And yet there is also a sense in which that word father means simply someone who is a possessor of something. Satan, as Jesus says, is the father of, of all lies. You see, Jesus is the father of truth. Jesus is the Father, as we read here in Isaiah 9, He is the Father of all eternity. We just look at all these kings who we read about in Scripture. All of our kings and rulers, commanders and chiefs and presidents and queens and, and all the rest of them. All these men and women who we expend so much of our energy hoping in and trusting in only to be let down and disappointed again and again. Well, we hear on the day, Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, we hear Simon Peter announce to, to all of these you know, vast multitude of people that I say to you with confidence that our, our King David, our patriarch, he died 
You can go see his tomb right down the street. I mean, he was a good king, don't get me wrong, he's saying. And yet, would you like to hear about a great king? A king of kings and a lord of lords. David has slain his tens of thousands, yes, but God, Jesus Christ, has slain even the grave itself. King David brought Goliath down. King Jesus has defeated even the devil himself. And I mean, just marvel on that thought. Amen. How of all times and of all people, this is an everlasting father. Praise God that he is not just the everlasting father of the household of David, but he is also the everlasting father even of, of the court of the Gentiles. Everlasting Father. And I think when I say that word Father, that means many things to many people, doesn't it? I think there are a lot of people who are hearing this message this morning who have fathers who they have not heard their voices in many, many, many years now. And they miss them more than life itself. As I hear that word father, I, I realize that I have the greatest dad that, I mean, God could not have possibly given me a more um, an incredible dad than he gave to me. There are other people, though, who, who hear that word father, and it's, it's a very sad thing that comes to mind. Or they had a father, perhaps, who was um, um, a distant father. My great-grandfather was an alcoholic. And so my grandmother did not have a father, um, have um, a presence of a father in her childhood, sadly. There is a story in our family about how he was drunk one night, and as my grandmother had been an infant, just, just had hurled her on the floor, threw her. And yet for all the people like my grandmother especially who had that kind of a father in her life. When they hear that, that phrase, everlasting father, you see, what God is announcing to the world is no matter what kind of dads you had in this world, I will be your spiritual protector. I will be a divine provider, defender, sacrificer on your behalf. I am not going to be just another father who is here today and gone tomorrow, but rather, I am the father who will never leave you or forsake you. And in so many ways, in the pages of Scripture, what, what God the Father is saying about God the Son is that if you want to, to know what God looks like, what God thinks like, and what God acts like, look at Jesus. Amen. And yet I think that there might be some this morning, though, who are hearing all of this and saying, yes, Jesus says that he's with us, and I think that he is. He's described to us as mighty God, everlasting Father. Oh, but I'm still suffering this morning. I'm still waiting. I'm still sobbing in the darkness. Well, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes to a mother-in-law of Simon Peter. She has a fever, and, and he heals her of, of her fever. 
We see him then go out into this huge multitude of people and he heals everybody who came up to him. And yet now Luke says the sun is going down. Jesus is absolutely exhausted. When the sun comes back up in the morning, he's got another city to get to, another vast multitude to heal. And yet just as he is going and he's walking towards the other town, there are all these other sick people. Lord Jesus, please help us. Jesus, I have a deaf son. Jesus, I have a daughter who has a demon. My father is crippled, Jesus. Please help us. And yet his response might just surprise us. Where Jesus turns and he looks at all of them and he says, Good night. I need to go to the other cities too. And he just turns and he walks away. And we can just imagine all these people looking at each other like, Did Jesus really just walk away from us? And they go home still crippled still having a demon in their son, still having um, ears that, that, are, that are deaf. And I would say this is what Advent is all about. And I just want to close here this morning with, with a post that I had read a few days ago of, of a classmate of mine from Arizona. She and her husband have a son who's about three or four years old. And a year ago, they were noticing that he was missing his milestones. They went to a, a, um, a neurologist, and he was noticing that her son had a delay in his brain. She describes it as the hardest year of her entire life, where she just has no idea what is going on with her son. And so finally, earlier on in this year, in this very chaotic, sad year, she finally learned that her son had been diagnosed with this extremely rare syndrome that only 20 children in the whole entire world have. And she's had to quit her career. She was a nurse. And now what her life consists of is going to his um, doctor four times a week as he has therapy. She says that he is just three or four years old and he's already using a walker. He's got braces on his legs and he can't talk. And however we find ourselves in this place called Advent, what our cry to him is always going to be the same. It is Emmanuel, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Are you there? Do you see what is happening in my life? Do you care about how much pain that we are all going through right now? I mean, how much longer is this going to, to just drag on? Lord, how much longer? And yet I love her attitude, though. It's just so mature and it's so godly. Where what she writes about her son is that he has taught our family how to really celebrate all of the inch stones that he makes. He's teaching us to slow down 
And to just enjoy Connor when he smiles, that, that ear-to-ear smile that lights up a room. And then at last, what she says is that while I know that our new normal is a marathon that have many ups and downs, and while I know that I don't exactly know what, what our future is going to exactly look like, she says one thing I do know, and that is, is that my son is my Superman, she said. And I mean, that is our call to action here this morning, straight from her post is that we have to slow down in our Advent. I mean, that is what Advent is all about, slowing down. And yes, I know milestones are very important, but, but what she is inviting us to, what she's inviting me to, is, is look for those tiny, sluggish inch stones that are also there along the way. They're, they are so slow, and they're so minuscule and tiny. And yet, as we are inching forward at a sluggish pace, know that this too is progress. And so, my brothers and sisters, as we continue to wait, and a lot of us ache in our season of Advent right now, even when it does not feel as if He is with us, know in your heart of hearts that that He is whispering in our souls this morning from His words in the pages of time and of scripture, his very name to us in response. As he whispers in our souls, I am with you. I am truly mighty to save. And I am here today, but I want you to know that I'm also going to be there tomorrow too. And the day after that, stretching into all of eternity. Advent is a very agonizing process. And yet there is joy and there is peace in the morning. Let us live in our lives with that understanding that He is with us at all times. As we close, let us go to God in prayer. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Emmanuel, God is with us. These are your very names, Jesus. These are the names that are above every single name. And I pray that we will trust in those names. God, please deliver us from our advents in due time. Lord, you you, um, have assured us that if we do not lose heart or grow weary, there will be a harvest in the morning. For all those who are are needing and, and who are thirsting this morning, I pray that they will taste and see that the Lord is good. All those who have any need, Father, I pray that they will express that to you this morning. All of this we we pray in the name of the wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Emmanuel. Amen.